start talking about Houston Texans football. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It's nine days till the draft. It can't come around quick enough. It feels like these picks will finally turn the page into this new era. Hope you enjoyed the Easter Friday edition. Good to get something out over the weekend and thanks everybody for commenting and listening on YouTube. If you haven't already subscribed, give it a like, keep going out there. The draft profiles have certainly racked up the views, but we can always get more people to come and join us this week to join us as a first time guest. And I'd like to introduce Mr. Oliver Hodgkins from Pro Football Network. Oliver, how are you doing? Doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Looking looking forward to talking about a, a franchise that's got a lot of vested interest in the 2022 NFL draft. Yeah, it's a funny year, isn't it? Because what you got eight teams, seven, eight teams now, all multiple first round picks. So night one's going to be very different to previous years. Yeah, I think um, not only is it going to be different in terms of the amount of picks, um, teams that have got multiple picks, like you mentioned. Texans being one of them. I think it's going to be um, a free-for-all in terms of trades on draft night. At the moment, there's there's no real consensus out there as to any of the first, second, third, fourth, you know, you name it. There's not really a consensus to, to the guy that's going off the board. And that's making it a lot more different to the last few years that we've had. You know, last year, Trevor Lawrence was the guy at number one. We knew he was going to be the guy for the Jaguars going in. The year before, Joe Burrow was, you know, almost a consensus nailed on number one overall pick for the Cincinnati Bengals. This year, there is no consensus to, as to what might happen. Now, Aiden Hutchinson is a guy who a lot of people are talking about as nailed on as the first overall pick, but I, I don't think that is. And, and the lack of consensus, the depth of talent, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, and um, the, the multiple needs for multiple teams to to really fill a lot of holes. It's going to make it such an interesting, not just first night of the NFL draft, but the whole 262 picks. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting class because it's, it is the biggest class of all time, literally. Um, what's been your? Pro- I, I was just telling you before we before we hit record there. I'd list, probably read the vast majority, if not all, your profiles at some point. Um, I've been into the draft this year only more than I have been previous for obvious reasons. I'm, I'm almost I'm probably about 90 percent there with my draft board. I think I'm up to two hundred twelve players I've watched now. So. Um, over the weekends um, I've had to narrow it down I, I've got a terrible habit of watching too many games and then you think right I've still got another 60 prospects to get through here at least to watch one or two games of them uh, which is difficult but what's been your process like this year with it with inflated numbers trying to narrow it down you know obviously teams have you know sometimes 120 130 prospects max that they have draftable grades upon how have you managed to sort of uh, compare it because I, I found the hardest but I find is, is trying to calibrate all these guys because you know you know a guard versus a centre when you do big boards so I've done horizontal only but how have you managed to uh, to, to, to kind of piece it all together because it's uh, I know from experience this year it uh, ain't easy no it's not and like you say the, the biggest draft class um, just because surely with the COVID situation the sheer number of um, eligible players that went back to school for this this cycle has made it I think we started the, the the season with our mock draft simulator at Pro Football Network with something like 1,800 guys in there. 
um, draft eligible guys, which is which is crazy. But the process is, is funny because we talk about, you know, you mentioned in the introduction, nine days to go and people talk about draft season starting when the Super Bowl finishes. Uh, but for, for me, we did our first 2022 mock draft on in March last year. So we were already starting looking ahead to the this this year's class before the um before the previous year's class had finished and then almost straight away um a, a board of sort of top 10 players at each position that had been guys that had popped during the previous college football season, guys that you'd seen on tape while you were watching um, some of the 2021 prospects, guys who were expected to declare in 2021 who went back for um, for the 2022 draft cycle. So there was already a big a big board of prospects that we've narrowed quickly down to top tens at the position. And then it's just a, it's a case of watching as much film as you can get on as many guys as you can find. It's not always easy to find um, college football all 22 to, to study the the deep nuances of, of each position. And um, but yeah, you, you're still finding now late in the process there's a guy that you've not managed to get to with just nine days to go that you might end up on the final version of a top 300 big board, which we start putting them together. The first big boards, um, top 300 boards dropped in October. Um, so even you know between May and October, a, a, a huge amount of film grinding down the, the the top prospects to get a top initial top 300 big board. And then they've been updated to the point where we'll drop out the final one um, next week, just prior to the draft. So it's just a lot of lot of film watching, a lot of guys sort of coming out of nowhere of this year, um, late in the process, a lot of guys who have elevated their draft stock, but conversely guys who started the season really high and, and have disappeared to nothing. Guys like Spencer Rattler, obviously, yeah. um, <laughs> came, came in, him and Sam Howell were yeah. like the guys at the quarterback position. And, and Spencer, obviously, the situation at Oklahoma didn't pan out for him and he'll look to elevate himself at South Carolina for the, the coming cycle. But yeah, lots of, lots of tape watching, lots of shuffling around players, lots of um, trying to, like you say, trying to quantify um, how a, player stacks up against another guy with very similar similar grades um so yeah it's, it's fun it's been a great it's my first year doing a full year of of actually doing this professionally so it's been a great learning curve it's been a great experience and we're looking forward to, to learning from that for the next cycle and what's uh what's the biggest thing you've kind of picked up on in this class because obviously you've got you know, you've got five receiver sets you've got you know people slinging it you've got air raid offenses it's you know and some of that rpo stuff's translated into the league i was watching wake forest i was watching zach tom go up against uh jermaine johnson i hadn't watched johnson until quite recently in depth anyway um you know they run a sort of mesh concept trying to get people at the, at, on their heels at the line of scrimmage to keep them guessing you see these concepts continually translate from college to the pros is there any kind of trends or anything you've picked up on this year um, in terms of, of of positions, of you know the linebacker roles have changed; they're becoming more like safeties, you know, etc. The game is evolving, perhaps not for the purest. Um, but is there anything you've kind of picked up on in the in the last in the in, in this year anyway, in terms of kind of trends that you, you didn't quite appreciate prior? It's a great. I mean, you mentioned the safety position, and that's a great place to start because you look at Kyle Hamilton, um, who is my top-ranked prospect in this class, a six foot four, two hundred and twenty-pound safety, which is not something that you would 
have ever considered likely uh, at the NFL level. And we saw last year, Divine Diablo, who came out of Virginia Tech and was drafted by the, the Las Vegas Raiders, he was that sort of guy, a bigger safety who could come down and play linebacker. And in this class, you see Kyle Hamilton is a guy who's right at the top of the class with that physical profile, that size, strength, how he plays the game, almost like a safety linebacker hybrid. You, you look at guys like um, last last season, Isaiah Simmons, Jeremiah Russo, Coromara, all those sort of hybrid type of players. And this class has got several of them. Like Kyle Hammer, I, I was on the show last night and we're talking about Sterling Weatherford out of Miami of Ohio. He's kind of like a, a cut price Kyle Hamilton in some respects, that very similar um, frame, physicality to the game. You could see him sort of come down and play some linebacker at the NFL level. So that position in particular, I think, is, is super interesting just because of, like you say, how teams have shifted away from... Um, especially, you know, on defence, they've shifted away from the accepted norms of defensive formations. You know, you can't talk about a, you can't talk about a 4-3 defence or a 3-4 base defence anymore because how often do teams actually line, you know, play out of those alignments? It's a very limited number of, of very limited percentage of, of snaps where teams play out of a base alignment and more and more teams look to disguise their defensive formations. More and more teams look to play with five defensive backs on the field. And then, you you know, you look at a team like the Green Bay Packers in this year's draft class, they're probably going to take a safety in round one or two, even though their safety room, when you look at it as a, as a base defensive formation, you would go, well, they've, they've got two great safeties already. But they're always going to have five defensive backs on the field for, for a large percentage of time. So taking a guy like Daxton Hill out of Michigan, who is... Um, a guy who can play cornerback, can play safety, play nickel, you know, you name it, he can play that role. Having a guy like that with that versatility um, and then or, or a heavy hitting guy like Lewis Seen, who can also provide some coverage ability as well. It's fascinating as you as you watch, like you mentioned, the, the evolution of the NFL in terms of how the college game um, how the college game really sort of moulds that at the NFL level. Um I hope we don't see the Wake Forest offense in the in the NFL because Christ, if you can if you can watch six seventeen games of the Wake Forest offense with that elongated mesh, it, it makes for some great highlight plays. But man, it is tough to watch at times. Yeah, no, I, it, it's it. You see, kind of little nuances of things, you know, kind of creeping in um, to to the league. But but certainly, I pick up you on Kyle Hamilton there. I think that. For me, yeah, I mean, just watched him at the bye week and, yeah, as you said, trying to get all 22. And for me, I found it really, really difficult to get that. But then obviously it just doesn't exist because it's, it's an under lock and key <laughs> for many reasons. Um, but obviously evaluating defensive backs, um, safeties, cornerbacks, and even linebackers, you know, because they're, they're dropping the coverage so much, is really hard um, based on, you know, some of the, without having the kind of quality um, angles that you need to kind of be able to see their range and mobility. But somebody like Kyle Hamilton, when, when I put on the all 22, the Rose Bowl against Bama when Mac Jones, and uh, Smith were out there, kind of you know, and like you know, a lauded kind of wide receiver room. Um, he didn't look out of place at all. If not, he looked a more dominant athlete against that. And when you could see that lateral sideline to sideline movement, and how he could go and attack the play, um, that for me just you know, so I think this guy's a fucking unicorn. You know, I have not seen a guy like this for a long time. So, but you do need that angle and that that sort of quality tape to to be able to um, actually see it properly. Because I think people that haven't seen it, I don't think they necessarily appreciate. You know, you see the highlights and they're all great, but you know it's the plays and the and the tendencies that led up to those plays to to to, to create that highlight is is what you're really interested in. Um, so in terms of this class, um, 
Ollie, what do you think? How would you characterise it? I've kind of said, I've split it into kind of three top tiers. There's about three or four kind of blue chip guys that I think, yep, tick the box. Yeah, you'll take them. Uh, there's a, probably a sort of second tier of guys. Some questions, but you can see all the makings of quality starters. And then there's probably a, a glut of about kind of 40, 45 players from about positions 20 to about 60 um, into the, in, you know, into the, the top of the, sort of later into the second, top of the third um, of of players. There isn't a huge amount of uh, difference between. Um, and it's quite, a young, it's quite a unique shape in terms of, of the talent curve this year. How have you kind of viewed it and your, what's your sort of general views of the, the class as a whole? Yeah, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there. What I will say is the this this 2022 NFL draft class really has had a bad reputation. And when you look at the, the numbers um, from a media perspective, looking at the interest in the NFL draft class itself in terms of um, like pay, page views and um, engagement and stuff to do with the NFL draft class, it's definitely on the wane this year compared right. to okay. different classes. And I think it's quarterback driven. Yeah, you know, yeah. you look at the you look at the murkiness of this 2022 NFL draft quarterback class. There isn't a standout guy. There isn't two. You know, we, we were spoiled last year with the historic level of that quarterback class, and because we've not got that this year, I don't have a first round grade on any quarterback in this class. Um, there, there seems to be a, a lack of interest just based on that alone. And and when you dig down into the class, for me. I think you know you you hit the nail on the head. There's a there's a handful of elite level talent guys at the top of the first round. There is um, quality um, day one starting sort of Pro Bowl or Pro level talent potentially just behind those guys. The the meat of this draft class is from round two to round five, round six for me. I think in that range. Even like late in um, late in round four, early uh, round five, so the early day three range, I think you're still going to find guys that can come in and be high level contributors in this draft class. And like you say, the the some of some of the guys from like thirty five, forty through to a hundred, you maybe can't split them barely at all. And I think that again, it makes for a fascinating draft class. For if, if you're invested in the draft, if you understand and enjoy the draft, I think it's fascinating this year because there is so much, like we, we spoke about in the introduction, there is so much uncertainty in terms of who's going to go where. I think you're going to see lots of trades. You look at a team like the Baltimore Ravens, who've got like, I don't know, 4,000 picks in the fourth round, um, a ridiculously large yeah. amount of picks. They're going to be extremely active, I think. But they're also they're going to be able to get like starter level talent in that fourth round range where they've got all those picks. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see teams doing a lot of maneuvering around to pick up more picks in that middle section of the draft because they know that the talent is there to be able to get starter level. And you know, a team team like the Texans that have got a lot of needs, the Detroit Lions, you know. Philadelphia Eagle, there's, there's a lot of teams that have got a lot of needs and a lot of holes to fill. And I think this is a sort of draft class where you can actually, um, if you remove yourself from the feeling that it's not great because of the quarterback situation, I think you look at it and you can go, do you know what? We're going to get a, a handful of guys. And like a, a team out of the Texans with 11 picks as it stands, and that's not to say they won't trade around and get more picks by the end of it, you're going to plug a lot of holes in this NFL draft class. And that's for me, that's what I love about it. I think it's, it's a great class in terms of the depth of talent 
and the ability that a lot of teams are going to be able to, to plug a lot of holes. Yeah, I know. I, I sort of said that last week. I think potentially that we could get an early impact, certainly from the 80th pick overall that we traded from where we got back from a trade for Bradley Roby to New Orleans. Potentially you get, you know, that guy's making more plays on the field in the first five, six weeks of the season than pick 13. You know, that, that that's a potential outcome. And that's not, you know, unique to this draft class, but I think that the likelihood of it this year is, is perhaps more. And I certainly, I, I've split my horizontal board into sort of five kind of main categories. Um, and the, the sort of two middle ones are um, early contrib- early, uh, early starters and, and contributors and trying, to, um, and trying to be able to work out the difference between those two sort of mid-tier ga- uh, levels of players, um, you know, whether it'll be situational only, which most rookies are, but trying to kind of decipher between the two um, has been really, really difficult. And that's where the bulk of players sit, certainly in terms of the potential leads, kind of blue chip guys at the top. Now, you know, there's a two and three per position max, you know, I think, and, you know, in some, none, uh, you know, as a quarterback. So I think it's... Uh, it's definitely, um, you know, quarterbacks drive the narrative. Quarterbacks, what people see on highlights, that's what they see, get the ball snapped in every. So, you know, if it's not for the, it's perhaps not for the purest. But yeah, certainly excited, fired up for this draft class this year. Um, what do you see as the positions of strength? Where do you think the, the most value? And I'll see if that lines up to what I've got on my board. So um, for me, I've got 15 edge prospects in the top 100 picks, um, 30 edge prospects um, ranked overall. So that's certainly one of the the deepest. And when you look at the talent there, that's where you've, you've got, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson, George Kalaftis, Boye Mafé, Arnold Ebiketti, all guys that have got first round potential. Um, David Ajabo, obviously, if he if he hadn't got injured, was was a, would be a guy in that category as well. Cameron Thomas, who's a guy out of San Diego State that I really yeah, like. Yeah, me too. Probably, yeah, big fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand the lack of hype. And I yeah, probably not big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get to some of the some of those guys that I feel strongly about in this class. I think a little a little later on, but when you look at the edge class, it just stands out as being one of the the strongest so edge wide receiver i've got 43 wide receivers on my top 300 big board 19 of those in the top 100 prospects um safety we talked about kyle hamilton i've got um a very large number of safeties towards the top of my board with kyle hamilton lewis seen daxton hill jaquan brisker um jalen petrie um these guys like Nick Cross out of Maryland, these guys like Veron McKinley, uh, Kirby Joseph out of Illinois. There's a lot of guys in that top 100 range of the safety position. Uh, linebackers certainly stronger than I first envisaged when I first started studying the class. Excuse me. There, there seemed to be just a handful of guys at linebacker that I really like. But as the season, the college football season progressed and you go back to the tape, there's a lot more linebacker talent than I first thought. Uh, cornerbacks, I think there's six guys within a first round shot at the cornerback position. I've got 11 of those guys in my top 100. Um, tight ends, very deep, not at the top. Mm, it's not, yeah, a, yeah. not a Kyle Pitts in there. There's not a, I don't even think there's a Pat Frymuth in there if we're going to compare to last year's class. But a lot of later day deep talent at the tight end class. Um, 
and running back again, same again, late day three value uh, or day three value, should I say. Um, lots of guys, not a standout like Najee, not a standout like Travis Etienne, um, but guys who um, I think solidly from midway through the second round all the way through to the back end of day three to the, the end of the seventh round. Particularly in that sixth, seventh round range, I've got a whole glut of running backs. That I found it very difficult to separate at the back of the that that sort of um, one eighty to two forty range. A lot of the running backs in there, so uh, certainly edge, wide receiver, safety, cornerback, offensive tackle is great at the top. I think there's a big drop off. Yeah. When oh yeah, big top. Yeah. You, you look at the top three guys, for me, Evan Neal, Ike McQuinu and Charles Cross, there's a drop-off then to Trevor Penning, who I think has been, been slightly overrated in this class. And then there's a there's a bigger drop-off then. Um, and you're looking at guys like Abe Lucas out of Washington State, Daniel Falele, who's very much a, um, a mouldable ball of clay. He's not a, he's in no way, no shape, form or fashion refined in his game, but that size and the relative athleticism is is alluring, I think, for, for teams. Um, Tyler Smith out of Tulsa is another guy who should probably put in there, even ahead of Trevor Penning um, for me. There's a big drop-off with offensive talent, uh, tackle talent. So when you look at the class and talk about strength, yes, it's extremely strong at the top, I feel, but the drop-off is, is, is very significant. Yeah, I know, definitely. I know I was, I was, I think it was this morning, yesterday morning, it's all blended one now, but I was looking at uh, Damien Pierce and Pierce Strong and I just, I had to flip a coin, you know, it was like one of those <laughs> things and then obviously I, I was comparing that in my head to, uh, I was watching a bit of the Oklahoma defence yesterday, they've got a number of prospects, you know, Asamoah. Um, Pierre Winfrey was a guy who I wasn't convinced about, I know he was back at the senior bowl, but, you know, the more tape you watch, you see how he's a, you know, he's a really good gap shooter, so I was watching him yesterday, but then it was almost impossible not to watch Worthy on wide receiver, who I think he's maybe one or two years coming out of Texas, and then uh, the Bijou Robinson at, at, at tailback, who is just an elite, you know, first round pedigree. you know, I, I don't believe in drafting uh, running backs in the first round, but when you watch a guy like him, I know it's for next year, but you just thought, yeah, yeah, you can see it straight away. Just the juice, the awareness, the strength, you know, everything was there, you know, in abundance. And it's, uh, it's, it's you pick up other guys more times than you pick up the ones you're actually looking for. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly, it's going to be, you know, I think there's going to be boards for every team will be certainly all over the place. And why, why I quite liked reading your reports was certainly there was a, a nod to scheme there because for me, I've had to adjust. Obviously, predominantly we've been a 3-4 team for most of the, you know, for the last sort of 10 years we've been watching this team. Um, moving to Lovey Smith's t- uh, d- defence last year, predominantly only do they want four guys up front, have to be bigger bodies because they have to be able to kind of do everything at the line of scrimmage. Um, you've not gotten those outside linebackers to come and give a bit of athleticism and a five-man front. So um, how, how, how do you evaluate uh, what guys haven't done at college uh, versus what you think they can do and, and taking scheme fit into account because, you know, you're, you know, we're looking through 17, 1800 players, but as I said, teams only have 100, 125 guys draftable grades. So how, how, um, how easy do you find it to, to split them? Cause you know, a guy like Ebiteki, um, I'm, I'm still going back and forth. If I think he can play on the end of a four man front, I've got him as an outside linebacker at the minute. Um, you know, and then it's like, you know, guys like, you know, like, um, Roger McCready is he, I, I think he's a nickel. I can't see him, you know, playing in zone, um, for, for us anyway, um, I can't see him playing in his own because um, he's predominantly, you know, been a man at Auburn. So, you know, just nuances like that. How do you kind of, you know, evaluate that and, and how do you kind of take a view on it all? 
So um, for me, and, and this comes like largely down to my process as an evaluator, I'm still learning. I, I always, I always think you're, you're always learning. You're always learning new things. The NFL is and college football is a constantly evolving sport. So the first thing you have to, you kind of have to leave what you think you know at the door when you're watching prospects because you, you can always learn more. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of projection involved with um, talents, and and majoritively, you're looking at has the player got the athleticism and have they got the football intelligence to do something that they haven't done at college? So, you know, you're talking about projecting guys to the NFL level. You might have a guy, like you mentioned Roger McCreary, he played constantly on the outside at Auburn, uh, but the length um, issues that, that he has in terms of sub 29 inch arms I think it was 20, 28 and three quarters something like that off the top of my head around that 29 inch arm ball mark which a lot of teams will go look he hasn't got the arm length to play outside cornerback at the NFL level so then you're projecting can he play in the slot at the, the NFL level has he got the intelligence has he got the athleticism um, and it's the same we, you know, we talked about pass rushes has a guy got the power to play a 4-3 defensive end? Has he got the first step, the explosion? Maybe he hasn't played that role at the, the college level. Has he got the frame to support a, an extra 10, 15, 20 pounds if he's going to have to play um, in a four-man front as opposed to playing, say, a 3-4 outside linebacker? And that's where you look at a guy like Jermaine Johnson. You talked about him earlier. He's played all over the park. He played 3-4 outside linebacker at Georgia and then been pre um, predominantly tasked with playing 4-3 defensive end at Florida State. Um, coming into the season, that's a projection. Can he can he do that? Now, you know, Florida State don't play in the greatest conference in the world. I'm a Boston College fan, so I feel like I can say that the ACC isn't the greatest conference in the world without getting rebuked from Clemson fans. Um, the the <laughs> don't forget the, the silent P in Clemson either. They get upset well, about it. <laughs> let's, let's, yeah, well, yeah, let's not get into that. The um, the the. Um, so, you know, you know that Jermaine Johnson can do that. Um, do you, do you think he can, though? So this is just, I was watching this week. I, yeah. I, I'm still not 100%, like he is good against the run, excellent tackler, great form, uh, you know, he drives to you know drives to the ball carrier. Um, when you see him do it, he is. But I just think he's a little light in it. You know, if I was, if you know, if I'm, uh, if, if I'm a, a sitting there as an offensive coordinator, I'm going to say let's just run it outside zone at his end as many times as we can early on and see what he's got. You know, and it's just like just because he looks slight. I know he's sitting at two fifty odds uh, when he weighed in the combine. But you know, just when you see a slender, more framed. Uh, guy for a four-man front, I just kind of sit there and go, well, definitely can he do it? But look, there's guys that are 280 that, that show they can't do it on tape as well. So it's, you know, it's all projection. But what do you think, uh, Johnson? Because I know a lot of people have said, you know, he's a potential option at 13. I don't think he'll be there at 13, to be honest. No. I think he, I think, I think <laughs> yeah. he goes a lot, a lot earlier than that. Um, the, the thing with, with thing with Jermaine Johnson as well is, I, I understand he, he does look a little slender for a traditional NFL defensive end, mm. but he, he's powerful. He's athletic. His handwork is incredible. His footwork is incredible. He, he's shown that he can set the edge in the wrong game. And again, it's the level of competition in the ACC isn't great. But he, he, he was a guy who would have been probably for Georgia this year as part of a national championship winning defensive unit. He would have been a star in that unit. 
he left Georgia because the opportunity wasn't there in 2020, went to FSU and, and he came in and, and absolutely bossed it. I think he's shown that he's got the strength, the, the power um, and, and the, the little things. You know, we talked about nuance in position, the, the handwork. Um, he's not a bendy edge rusher by any stretch no, of the imagination, no. but he, he has got some ability to bend the edge. He's, but he, he's, you look at the NFL position, what do the majority of the defensive coordinators want? your pass rushes to do they want to get a straight line to the quarterback because that's the quickest way to get to the quarterback and I think for Jermaine Johnson he's a guy who's shown that he can be powerful enough to just bulldoze his way to the quarterback in a straight line and um, I think he's he's underrated in terms of his ability to set the edge in the run game and I think that is what separates him from from some of the other guys in this class that are constantly being talked about above him Um, I think his ability, all-round ability, is is superb. I'm, I'm excited to see where NFL values him because it certainly yeah. feels like he's he's going to be a top ten pick. I think there's that play against Notre Dame where he takes two. I think he takes the guard and the tackle out at the same time, and he gets. I think it's. I, I think it's either quarterback scrambling. Uh, I can't remember, but you know that, that that's probably the the biggest sort of uh, showing of tape certainly on his in terms of his uh, terms of his power. Um, but I think yeah, there's definitely. I think I, I had in my notes. I think he's, he's probably got the best motor in the class and potentially the best tackler um, of these defensive linemen. Just because you know, like if you see Tavon Walker, I lost count of amount of times he takes a high angle and misses. You know, I think sometimes you know, particularly when he had the quarterback. I think he did it against Kentucky. I remember writing it down, and he he basically dove over the top of the guy's small duck and he was gone. You know, so um, it's funny though because you see that progression of a guy like uh, Jermaine Johnson. And if you watch him at Georgia, it wasn't the same as mass. A bit like Zach uh, Pascal, actually. If you watch him the year prior, he's not got as much mass on when he's playing for Kentucky. They're kind of kicking him inside and out. And then actually he comes back as a more you know rounded athlete. Um, definitely puts on you know lean muscle mass and almost looks like a different player. How much do you kind of take that into account? Because you know when you're looking at certain tape for guys, you know like for because you've got to take a body of work. Um, but when there's still a lot of these guys are still in their really early 20s physically developing you know they've got a lot more headroom in terms of being an athlete how do you kind of account for that and how do you think teams all account for that you know in their projections you know when they're just looking at their traits funnily enough I was talking about this last night is you, you want to see linear progression um, from from an NFL draft prospect, and this is I think this is one of the things with Derek Stingley in this class is his best tape is three years ago, and yeah. <laughs> um, obviously it is it is a long time, and the the injury has really masked his um, ability to show that he has developed between 2019 and 2021 um, because he has played through injuries, missed time through injury and stuff like that. So you want you want to see a linear progression. Jack uh, Zach Pascal is a great example of uh, so Josh Pascal great example of how deep this edge class is because he's a guy that no one's really talking about who is an exceptional edge rusher really mm. um, for Kentucky and you don't hear a great deal of, of buzz and hype about him in, a, in another class where the edge class wasn't so deep maybe he's a guy who goes a, a lot higher than we'll see him go and he's going to prove probably a steal for it well, I think he uh, might go in the second round I think I mean some of my tape I've watched I think you know if you if you've got a multi a multi-front multi, uh, system. Um, there's a lot of value, and I think certain teams will overvalue them. And I think you know you hear kind of scouts sometimes, and you have sort of conversations with certain people, and they said, "Have you asked them about that?" And they say, "Oh yeah, we have, but you know, can you keep them quiet, please?" <laughs> sort of thing. I think he's maybe one of those guys. I don't know, but yeah, he's he's definitely it's definitely a guy to keep an eye out of. But yeah, you want you want to see that linear progression throughout the college career. You want to if you want to see that they're coming off their best. Performances, yep. at the at the at, as they're about to enter the draft, 
And you want to see, you know, we talked about that body shape and, and that you want to see that if a kid is slender, has he been able to put on um, mass during his college career? Because that would suggest that he might be able to put on a little bit more to the NFL. You know, you can sometimes you can see with guys that they're maxed out. You know, they're not going to be able to add any more muscle mass at the next level. But I think there's a, you know, there's a couple of guys in this in this class who have definitely got the frame to to add a little bit more, um, and therefore make you know step up to the the more physical rigors of the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, there's guys like I know I was watching uh, Cincinnati's defense of their number of defensive prospects in there. Uh, did a bit of a film breakdown on Darian Beavers, who's obviously watching Brian Cook, I'm a big fan of. Um, obviously, you've got Kobe Bryant on the outside, and then obviously Sauce, you know, the, the phenomenon that's become Sauce uh, in this process through the media. But, I, I you know, it's it's funny because you, you watch a guy like Maggie Sanders, I watched him, and it was about three snaps against, I think it was Notre Dame. Um, I think it was quite a good kind of barrier to or level to kind of compare, you know, sort of pro-style alignment against. And uh, you could just tell straight away, too skinny, not he won't fit us. You know, he may be a, a, a three, four outside linebacker. I know he's had some kind of weight drops and uh, when he was at the combine, etc. But yeah, it's quite funny how you can almost see with the eye straight away. But you know, I think I don't know if that guy. I mean, he might be able to do it, but certainly I don't think you know it'd be a guy the Texans could take in the first three rounds without any material risk being there. But um, yeah. But uh, anyway, in terms of you're gonna you're gonna hit me with your mock draft if you want. Um, if you shout the names out, if I've got the if I've got the memory recall, I'll give you. I'll, I'll let you know what I think, but. But uh, crack on giving us your your Texans picks. I was just trying to pull up there, but I couldn't see it. And then you, your colleague's got one out, and we'll, we'll go through that just for some material examples. Because um, certainly, I know people are looking for names and looking for justifications of, of why they'll be there, being at three and thirteen. So, uh, Ollie, in your latest mock draft, who did you have the Texans taking at three? Uh, so my latest one, which came out just at the uh, start of April, um, just after the Deshaun uh, Watson yep. trade, actually. Um, Evan Neal, uh, 103, the offensive tackle out of Alabama. Um, I, I just feel like the Texans have got to find out what they've got in Davis Mills this year. The, uh, I, I suspect ensuring that, that you can protect him is going to be the, the, the key to that. Evan Neal is, for me, the top offensive tackle in the class. I think he offers you the positional versatility and natural versatility, not just saying a guy can flip from left to right. Evan Neal is a guy that has experience at left tackle, right tackle and guard. Um, so you, you're you comfortable as an NFL team taking a guy like Evan Neal, knowing he can hold down either of those bookend spots. Now, obviously, Laramie Tunsil's there at the moment at left tackle, so you would imagine um, Evan Neal come in and play right tackle. Um, this year, um, so so, so for- people will get upset. So people probably listen will get upset. But like I say, I see it on Texans Twitter all the time. And I, look, I personally, I've got money on Evan Neal going number three overall. So like, you know, it takes my balls, right? <laughs> but they, but so obviously we dra- drafted Titus Howard. There isn't many people. There isn't many much hay in the barn, and people are quite precious about the these guys. Certainly, in the Texans fan because you know you're not got a lot to hold on. And so people, you know, over glamorize people like Titus Howard. And he's been good. He was good at left tackle. You know. And, the PF, PFF grades certainly stacked up if you want to believe them for offensive linemen. Um, but there was, there's a, there's a lot of people that are, you know, I think him and Ike Aquanu for us, if you can kick them inside to guard and then that gives you options at either side of, of your five um, in a couple of years' time, that's um, that, that's fine. And that, that gives you options. And I, the, the play that I took away watching Evan Neal was, in a, and I use the word crumpled because he did crumple uh, DeMarvin Leal, who was going to be a top five pick this year. His stock plummeted. 
Um, talked about him quite a bit. Um, I think he could be a steal for a team because I think he just kind of checked out in some ways. Um, but he just crumpled him in the run game. And I just thought, yeah, absolutely. If he can do it to him, he's sitting at 280. Um, he's potentially being talked about defensive tackle on the edge. He can do it against anybody. But how do you see Evan Neal in terms of kind of the wider landscape of talent? And what do you think What do you think he's ceiling is? And, and, and I know he's coming in with, obviously, he's a great fit for Pep Hamilton, ran power predominantly at Bama. Um what do you think he's ceiling is and how good could he be? Because I know people have said he's not as good as the previous year's class. He wouldn't be picked, you know, first out of those. But do you think he's like the safest guy, uh, you know, and, and what do you think he's ceiling is? Yeah, and this is the problem, I think, with, with NFL draft is that people want to compare to previous or fu- future. Look, you can't impact what happened in the previous years. You can't, you can't be certain about what happens in future years. You can only deal with what you're dealing with right now. And right now, Evan Neal, for me, is not just the safest, but the best offensive tackle in the class. We talked about the positional versatility, and that's natural positional versatility. It's not, you know, like we said, asking a guy like Ike McQuanu, who's never played right tackle, to play right tackle at the next level. That's a projection. Now, with Evan Neal, it's not a projection. So, you know, wherever, you, wherever you're saying someone can do something because they've proven that they can, that's a tick in the box if you're looking at safety as a as a prospect. So the versatility, but I, I love the size, obviously, with Evan Neal, a guy that's six seven, um, chiseled at three thirty seven. I think he weighed in at the, yeah. the combine off the top of my head. <laughs> it was impressive. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. I wish I looked like that. And I, you <laughs> know, hundred, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, he his um, his footwork is incredible for me. I think if you one of the, the the key things that you have to look at with offensive line players, footwork in the hands, and Evan Neal ticks the boxes there. He's not a perfect prospect. And no one is, you know, we're going to, people will go back and look at Penny Sewell in last year's class um, and the, the impact that him and like Rashawn Slater made for the, the Los Angeles Chargers. They're not, per- they weren't perfect prospects coming out. There's still elements to develop in their game. Evan Neal still has element, elements to, to develop in his game. You know, he can be prone to lean in on uh, pass rushers um, around the outside track. And if then they uh, flip direction, that leads him to susceptible to, um, to, to the guy coming back on the, the interior. But for me, he's the safest and he's the best of the three top offensive tackle prospects. And and that versatility for me, I, if I was a Jacksonville Jaguar, I've said this multiple yeah, times. Why they take him? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You take Evan Neal because you've invested in Trevor Lawrence now you have to invest in protecting him. And you can't get a tackle of Evan Neal's caliber at the top of the second round. You can get a day one starting pass rusher at the, start, at, the, at the top of the second round. You cannot get an offensive tackle like that. So we'll, we'll see. But if he's there for the Texans at three, I think they have to snap their arms off, to be honest. And who did you have going one and two just before we kick on? Uh, so Trayvon Walker. So in, in the mock draft that I did, I had Trayvon Walker going one yep. because there was an element of what we're hearing I wanted to try and convey a mixture of what we're hearing, what I would do, and what sort of um, previous draft classes and tendencies for organisations tend to lean towards. There's a lot of, a lot of noise about Trayvon Walker going number one to the Jaguars. So I had um, Trayvon at one and then um, Aidan Hutchinson at two because that seems like... And let me be clear, I don't think Aidan Hutchinson should go in either of those spots. But again, it very much it feels like the Detroit Lions have built up this love affair with Aiden Hutchinson, and that if if he doesn't go one, it's almost like in the bag that they take him at two. Yeah. So, 
Uh, and whether you, whether you agree or not, I certainly don't agree that that's that's um, Aiden Hutchinson where he, he belongs in this class. But it certainly feels like that yeah. that's going to be the case. No, it's funny you say that because I've kind of had that kind of look. I mean, has he got a, has he got a, a, you know an unreal floor uh, for a rookie? Yes, but it's one year production. It's relying on you know kind of out you know overpowering guys at the college level. Um, he's not the most bendiest. I'd say Carl Aftis is a better bender around the edge. Um, I would say Tavon Walker has never really shown it, but certainly his athletic traits are you know far superior to um, to, to Hutchison. I know he had a good sort of couple of drills at the combine, so you know people you know he was up there. I think in the three cone and the short shuttle and stuff were all kind of you know upper end testers. So yeah, I mean I think he, he's almost a guy who the Texans would probably want. If just say if Neil's not there and he just say he is sitting at three because we probably can't sign a guy on the open market that will be like him on day one. Where that ceiling is, is that necessarily the highest, most maximum value? You know, I was saying to you, we've got six first round picks in the next three years. We have to hit on them all if we're going to have a chance of being a competitive team 2023, 2024. Um, but I think that he would be a great one for us because he'd instantly be one of our best defensive players. How much better he gets in that is is the question. How much of those traits maxed out? I don't know. He's you know he's certainly not in those you know upper tier of the Bosa's Garrets etc. So, but you never know. You just never know as a projection. But it's funny you saying it because I have I have sort of questioned that myself at times because you know people just anoint people and it's easy and you don't have to think about it. But actually, you know when you sort of critically critically consider it, it's uh, it's not was that simple. But interesting. Um, he was so he was a guy that for me and uh, both myself and my colleague um, Ian Cummins at Pro Football Network we had both at the start of the season had him outside of first round yeah, range 100% just, yeah. and when you look at this season he's definitely improved his game like the first step the power um, is, is alluring and the size you know the, 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 the power he plays with it, his size is alluring and I get for a team like the Lions and maybe even the Texans that high motor um powerful approach that he brings to the game is kind of evocative it almost evocative of like a jj watt for the texans you know that that motor the power um but has he elevated himself to this untouchable prospect i know there's certain media outlets who say he's a, he's a slam dunk first overall pick to the jacksonville jaguars and i, I just don't think he is that guy that that people are making him out to be so. Yeah, he's um, uh, he's like uh, what was it? Somebody described it to me. He's like he's like hitting a, a three wood off the tee could just get to the driver, and I think that's quite that's quite a good analogy. That's a great, a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm stealing it. That's going in one of my articles. And, before and, the and you know, and uh, I stole that from somebody else. So feel free. The and you know, actually, even a guy like Matthew Butler from Tennessee. I think he's got a better first step than, than Aiden Hutchinson because if you if you freeze the frame when Butler gets off the line of scrimmage, he's my you know he's he's probably almost half a foot forward than everybody else you know on either side of the um, the line of scrimmage. So you know I I I don't think it's as simple as people want to make out. And again, it goes back to the the complexities of this draft class. But anyway, um, thirteen. If you want to give us some of the guys that were off the board as well, probably. But who did you take at thirteen in this mock? Uh, so with Evan Neal secured at three, took George Kalaftis at thirteen. Um, the the top guys um, 
I say the top guys, Carl Aftis is the top guy for me. Uh, but Jermaine Johnson was already gone. A couple of the wide receivers, I think, off the top of my head. It's been a while since I wrote this mock draft, but certainly Garrett Wilson was off the, the board, who is a guy I, I like for the Texans fit. Um, but yeah, the uh, Hutchinson was obviously gone. Trayvon Walker was gone. Jermaine Johnson was gone. Kalon Thibodeau was gone. Kyle Hamilton was gone. Um, and George Kalaftis for me. Um, we talked about the, the JJ Watt effect. And I think for, for me, Kalaftis is that big, powerful pass rusher who doesn't get credit for the nuances that he brings to the position. Um, and I know, like we say, the, the Texans have, have um, flipped to the 4 3 base defense. How often do you play 4 3? How, you know, in terms of disguising fronts? Jude Kalaftis is a guy who you can see work the outside track, but he's also strong and powerful. Yeah, enough you can to get him through your five inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he, he brings you that, that big, powerful, strong, and I keep harking it back to it. Where, where the Texans are concerned, I think for long term success with a defensive coordinator in Lovey Smith as a head coach, you want to get back to those days with JJ Watt. I don't want to say Brian Cushing because obviously Cushing's kind of checkered past, but that physical defensive mindset, that strong, powerful defense that, that helped drive the Texans' success in the early parts of you know the 2000s when JJ Watt was there. So for me, George Kalaftis is a guy that can that can, that can help do that. Um, 13, I think some people probably think he's a little rich for Kalaftis. He's a top 10 player for me. Um, so I, th- I think um, 13 is, is pretty good value. Yeah, I, I struggle with Kalaftis and at times I've got him I'm ranked as like in the second tier on the horizontal, first player in the second tier. I've got him my fourth um, outside player in a 4-3. As I said, I've got Jermaine Johnson's a 3-4, um, the only premier sort of 3-4 guy in uh, outside linebacker in his class. But in, in terms of the Kalaftis, what... And I don't know the answer to this, and I've watched the team, and I can't work it out. So if you watch Notre Dame, if you watch Wisconsin, if you watch all these games that he played in, um, multiple games, he you know uh, he, he he is impactful. Um, he makes plays. But when you watch games like Ohio State uh, and even Michigan State to a degree, um, it's just nowhere near the level. What, what do you think that is? I honestly don't know, and it, this is one of the big uh, knocks on Kalaftis is that disappearance if you like to want if you want to use that word against like teams like Ohio State. Um I, I, I'm not sure. I really I'm not sure. I just I think the the perception of Kalaftis is he's not flashy. He's not a flashy flashy oh, yeah, pass yeah. rusher. No, no. And that's why there's the the big knock on his draft stock is you know he doesn't he doesn't wow you play after play after, like a guy like you know, Kayvon Thibodeau does or, you know, Jermaine Johnson does or, you know, Trayvon Walker with his athletic prowess. He wows you, you know. I, I, when I did Trayvon Walker's scouting report, there's games where you're like, well, he's there, but then next minute he's there. He's like, the, the lateral agility and the athleticism is insane. And I don't think Kalaftis possesses that. Um, look, you, you look at a, a, a lot of prospects in this class. Every prospect has a, a bad game. Uh, and, yeah. and sometimes, sometimes it's prone to to overthinking it. You know, a, a game against like Ohio State is, you know, you you kind of you expect to see your guys be at the top of their game. It, it doesn't always work out like that, unfortunately. Sometimes guys, you know, they do have bad games. Um, I think George Kalaftis does have the the power, the strength, and nuances. I think he's more athletic than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, I think you get him in an NFL program. Um, he's rel- 
I want to say he's relatively inexperienced, but he doesn't come from a footballing background yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. So there is there is some work to do there potentially. Um, but I think the, the Texans, if you get a guy like Kalaftis at 13, that's a real strong anchor for your defensive front. Yeah, there's one player just sticks in my head against Ohio State and they, they ran at him and he was going against uh, Petit Freer um, on the on the edge. I'm not that high on um, But he, he certainly seemed like he get the better of him. There's one play where he's basically got the back to his, he's got his back to the play as the running back is going through the, breaking through the line. Um, and I don't know if it was just, it was, I don't, from memory, I think that was pretty an uneven game. And, you know, there's a lot of plays, you know, so he'll be rushing a lot more than he would be if he's on the field, you know, at the NFL level, because, you know, there's simply more passing plays at college. But yeah, I, I've kind of got gone back and forth with Kralaftis, but I think, I keep going back to the point, Ollie, I think 13 um, is a potential dead spot, just falling out of those top two tiers that I was talking about. And it may be one that you want to obviously trade back if you can, perhaps easier to trade out of than three would be. Um, do, you, do you kind of see it as maybe being like a, a spot where you, as you said, you know, getting that spot at 13 might not be any different to sort of 23, for example? Yeah, it's, there, there's, there's several like spots like that for for numerous teams. You know, I think where the, intriguingly, I think where the New Orleans Saints have traded themselves into, if their intention is to get an offensive tackle and a wide receiver, I feel like they're in a bit of a blind spot where offensive tackle is concerned because... I would expect, and it's not a guarantee, you never know what happens in the draft, but I would expect the top three guys that we've talked about on this podcast, Neil, Cross and Aquanu, to be gone. That's too high for Trevor Penning for my money. I know the, a lot of NFL teams do like him, so the potential is there. But then then they're in a dead spot. Like The Texans are in a dead spot at 13 in terms of drafting for need over best player available. Um it very much depends how the board falls. If a guy like Kyle Hamilton's still there at 13, well, you're not trading out of that. You're snapping Kyle Hamilton up and you're, you're succeeding for the next five years, bare minimum. Um, but yeah, there, there's, and again, it's what makes this class so fantastic, uh, this draft class so fascinating and fantastic is there's a couple of these sort of that dead spots where teams that have real high needs for prospects are going to have a decision to make as to do we want to, take the best player who might not necessarily even be remotely one of our top needs at that position. Um, can we trade back down, get a few more mid-round picks, but still end up with a top-level first-round player and then two, maybe three later-round players? The quarterback market is going to be is going to be key to the successful ability to be able to trade that and the wide receiver market because you may see a run on wide receivers yeah. as well. Do you know it's funny? I mean, it's it's not it's not this year. It's not applicable. Obviously, the, the shit's gone on with Watson and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I remember being. I was went to the twenty nineteen draft. I was sitting there at the stage and watching it come and the pitch start coming in, and. Uh, and you know, at that point, you wanted some. You wanted as many quarterbacks to go before we took a eighteen, nineteen. I think it was when we got Titus Howard, because that wasn't your need. And I'm not saying I'm not anointing Davis Mills. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not dismissing. I'm not, neither. We'll find out. You know, by the bye week this year, we'll have a proper evaluation. I think. Um, but the at that point then you wanted the quarterbacks to, to, to go and I think it's kind of the same you want somebody to go up and get Willis you want somebody to go up and maybe get Pickett I don't know if they will but you know it's there's a few questions and if that happens that plays into Houston's hands in terms of how we expect I mean it may shock us all but I doubt it um, you know that's how you, so definitely that's that's where we want to happen did you have any guys that kind of came off the board sort of 14, 15, 16 that you could have potentially considered or was that was that the clear pick there? 
Garrett Wilson has been the the guy for me that I kind of I love for the the Texans. Um, he'd already gone by that point. Um, what do you love about him for the Texans? Um, I, I think he is a three three level threat essentially okay. um, at the wide receiver position. He's a guy who um, is reliable as a contested catch connoisseur, as I like to call him. He is a um, a, a guy who adds yardage after the catch as well. So you can use him in multiple ways. Um, whereas I think uh, his route running for me is is one of the best in the class. I think he he's clearly the wide receiver one. So if he was if he was still there knocking around at um, pick thirteen, I think that's a slam dunk. Um, so, so some of the guys that we've got going just after. Um, George Kloftis in this mock draft was uh, Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of Georgia to Baltimore, Jameson Williams to Philadelphia Eagles at 15, Derek Stingley to the Eagles at 16. Now, I think Stingley probably, this was obviously before his pro day mm. performance. I think the fluidity on field, the movement, the ability to plant his foot and drive on his foot, that shows, I think, to a lot of NFL teams that he is healthy. Uh, and this was the was the key thing for Derek Stingley's draft stock is is he healthy? Can he be the athlete that he was in 2019? Because when you're a you're a guy who whose cornerback play is predicated as much on athleticism as ball skills, if you can't regain that athleticism that Derek Stingley showed in 2019, that's not ideal. Um, but it, it certainly looked like the testing times were great. The, the 40 was great. Some of the the, the, the broad but for me, it was the actual on-field um, stuff that, that Derek Stingley showcased in terms of, the, of his health, which I think will probably yeah. propel him. I, wa- propel I watched him. I watched him miss a tackle, and it was awful this year. You know, and it was it was terrible. It was just oh, and, the, and, the, and this is the yeah, this is the thing with Derek Stingley. I've said repeatedly in this process, I think Derek Stingley can be a great player. I think Derek Stingley needs to want to be a great player. That's two very different Um, ways. Exactly. And I'm I'm presuming the game that you're talking about is the UCLA game. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, because he didn't play many this year. So yeah, it was that one. Yeah, you're right. Um, Yeah, it's all blends in the one. You can recall it times, other times you can't. (laughs) Um, interesting. Okay, so I've just I just got your other colleague's mock up before we moved on to thirty seventh. Um, and he's actually got Boye Maffey going pretty high in uh, top uh, eleven, so uh, twelve overall, which is interesting. I've not seen him go that high before. And um, do you think he's a? Is, I, I watched him some games and I watched him other games. Do you think he's a guy that? that well, what does he want to go that high first and foremost? And do you think he's a fit in that sort of a, in, a, in an even front predominantly? So yeah, it's a little high for me. I could kind of see it because if you're going to bank on a guy like Trayvon Walker, Boye Mafe's for me, uh, he's got those athletic traits, and he actually brings more to the table as a pass rusher than Trayvon Walker does. Oh yeah, but just not against uh, the run for me. I just thought yeah, you no. can't, you can't, you, you couldn't trust him um, out no. there. Yeah. He's a, he's kind of in betwixt and in between as a three four and a four three. I think you, you're looking at a guy who's probably better suited potentially right now to play as a three four outside linebacker as a pass rushing specialist. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say he can't can't get to a four three defense. I don't I don't I don't like him as a projection at four three defense end. Um, but yeah, it is quite high. It's not out of the question, though. No, you no, do, absolutely. Yeah. You just never depend, know. It just takes on one how, team. 
Yeah. Well, this is it. I, I had the opportunity to speak with Boy Mafe, and he's an incredibly engaging young man um, who's very conf- confident in his ability. And, and he's very keen to um, impress upon people that he isn't just this raw guy yeah. that, that people claim he is. And you can see it. You see in the pass rush tools, you see in his handwork. Um, he, he is more refined than people want to give him credit for. Uh, I think he's more of a back end of the first round guy for me. Yeah, no, no, I would say so. I think that's probably an appropriate value. Uh, your colleague had Jordan Davis, their team have kind of gone into him in, in great length uh, on Friday. Um, who did you have at uh, 37, if you got it there? I had Daxton Hill going at 37. Okay. Um, we, we talked about the safety position earlier and the versatility. I think Daxton Hill gives you a, an athletic freak who can play in a number of alignments across the, the defensive backfield. I think when you've when you're a team that has got a lot of holes to fill, um, and, and Daxton Hill falling to 37 is uh, he's very highly rated. 37, he's, he's almost a steal if you can get him. At yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I wouldn't expect to see him that perhaps that. that. Um, yeah, the, super superb athlete, um, incredibly um, incredibly versatile. Reads the game very well. I think the one thing for Daxton Hill um, in terms of coming downhill, he isn't the biggest guy. And you see that on tape sometimes. He does struggle to impose his will um, when he comes downhill. But yeah. I think that as, as, a, as a coverage guy, as coverage safety and, and the ability to play, you know, slot cornerback, even he's got the size to play outside. That's a guy who can impact, you know, five different positions on your secondary with a second round pick. I think it's pretty, pretty decent value there. Yeah, one of the games I watched, oh, I can't, it was one of the high scoring games, I think it was Michigan State. Um, I, I just I just wrote down he gets a little nosy at times you know he comes up and you can see, you can almost see him like he's he's, he's just want to get involved too much and you know I think you know he may learn some harsh lessons I, I kind of thought which all rookies do right so it's not unique to, 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 to Daxton Hill at all but yeah I just thought you know I thought you know movement yeah check all the boxes um, you know yeah he's probably I, I kind of sort of had a I hate giving rounds on people because I was talking about this last week it just, just takes one team like Seattle who throw the whole thing off you know and it's like there's you know there's a couple of guys in the first you know the first rounds or whatever in the third or what have you um but uh, yeah i just kind of thought he got a little nosy at times but he's but his movement skills were there it looks like you know like a, a player and it looks like he's got a lot of attitude um and when 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 he's when he's playing a communicating secretary which you need and i think you're talking about the strength and defense this team needs to build an identity to somebody like that i think would be a good fit um your colleague here sky moore slot receiver sky with two y's and um, what do you think of him uh certainly silky smooth from the couple of games i've watched um, slippery in his routes um, definitely going to a propensity to get open in the short to intermediate areas um, level of competition obviously Western Michigan is something that you know um, potentially your colleague here compares him to Golden Tate uh, what do you what do you think of Skymer? he's um, to steal a phrase from another one of my colleagues um, he's he's explosive in all directions so you know he's a kid who can stretch the field vertically with vertical explosion. He can he can explode and gain separation in very short um, short routes. I, I actually had Sky Moore going at sixty eight in the at the top of the third round to the Texans in my mark. It feels it feels like that's probably unlikely at the moment. He's certainly getting up ahead of steam. I know there's a lot of guys who like him as a even potentially that that back end of round one. Um, Right, right, round one area. I, I, that's a little high for me. Um, 
but I do think he is an extremely explosive wide receiver threat who can, you know, we talked about Garrett Wilson's ability to create yardage for you. Sky Moore's a guy who can create yardage for fun. Um, so he would he would be a great addition to the Texans. And like I say, I, I hired him at the top of the third yeah. at uh, 68. So I think probably a little bit late in the day, unfortunately. But just sometimes, like you say, you don't know how the board falls. Um, there's there's always that. Never say never. It's That's not, it, yeah. <laughs> don't deal in absolutes during the NFL no. draft season. Nothing. I mean, even the teams get it wrong. So you know, with all, for all the all the the uh, hyperbole talk and you know, assured it takes. You know, uh, you know, people can say one thing, and then I've heard you know people that you know you respect of of you know read reports and they and they contradict others. So you know, there's so much information to get through. How teams do it, you know, with a full time staff, you know, for individuals, it's it's, it's some feat uh, when you see people's work in it. The, the hours that goes in, it's ex- extensive. Um, Brandon Smith is uh, the linebacker from Penn State. Uh, your colleague's got his sixty. I wasn't quite sure watching him. He's a little bit on the heavier side um, for an off the ball linebacker. I don't know if he necessarily fit at the Sam or will, but uh, what do you think? Of, of Brandon Smith and is he is he a 3-4 true outside linebacker no, I don't think so okay. I think he no I, I don't think he's a, a true 3-4 outside linebacker he's Brandon Smith's a super interesting guy because you mentioned there he's a bigger guy he's a very very good athlete a very explosive athlete um, comes down hill well gets after the quarterback well he's he's one of them that is very inconsistent this is the big thing for me. He was a guy who I, I watched before the season. I was like, if this guy kicks on, he could be one of the top linebackers in this class. And he, he's just inconsistent. Um, but he, he's got all the all the athletic attributes, plays the game with physicality, um, plays the game with a level of intelligence that you want to see out of a linebacker. You know, we talked about at the top of, at the, top of the show that, the linebacker position is one that's ever more thin and there's so much responsibility in terms of pass rush, pass coverage, stopping the run, the zone man alignment. There's so much going on at the linebacker position that you, you have to be a, a high level um, intellect as well as athlete. And I think Brandon Smith shows that he can be mm. those those things. Um, he's he's just too inconsistent at this moment in time. So again, it comes down to that that projection versus safety and surety. Uh, and I think Brandon Smith projects to be a, a, an impressive player, but at the moment you, there's not that surety with him as a prospect. Yeah, yeah, I've got him as a kind of I've ranked him as a spot filler right now in in, in the four three off ball linebacker just because I think yeah he is good at rushing but then ultimately you know he'll either be a 3-4 or a 4-3 or a, or a linebacker um, rushing um, so I, I, I'd struggle to kind of I, I, I ranked him really closely to Darian Beavers because I think Beavers is he's, he's got a hell of a rush um, but he's just a bit he's a bit big for a linebacker and I kind of ranked them very close together because I thought you know um, albeit you know they do a lot of different stuff but in terms of a little bit on the heavier side not necessarily, you know, they're okay dropping in his own coverage, uh, but if he, you know, you asked him to go up, up and uh, up, face up a tight end and press, they're probably they're probably going to get caught out by the more athletic guys. So, interesting one. Who did you have at eighty? Isaiah Spiller, running back out of Texas A and M, and I absolutely love Isaiah Spiller. The, the The Texans running back room is super intriguing to me because you look at the two guys that are currently at the top of the depth chart, Marlon Mack and Rex Burkhead. They're two guys who are, there's, you know, so-so, um, but pass-catching um, running backs. Um, so if you're the Texans looking at this draft class, what is it you want out of this draft class? Because you've already got two sort of pass-catching guys in Mack and Burkhead. 
Um, Royce Freeman, you've got in there, and Dario Wong-Bong, Gabali. Yeah, I don't think I did a great job of pronouncing <laughs> his name. But yeah. um, Isaiah Spiller, for me, is um, his testing has forced him under the, not under the radar, it's forced him down draft boards. Um, for me, I don't think that testing is important. When you look at how Isaiah Spiller wins, and his footwork is incredible. His physicality and his build for the running back position is perfect for the NFL level. His vision is incredible. He, he's my top-ranked running back in this class, and I know he's not going to go as the, the top running back um, because you know, a guy like Brees Hall with his explosion, Kenneth Walker with his ability to court and create, and the speed that both of those two showed at the NFL Combine and on the college tape is, is probably going to make him more alluring for NFL teams. But if you want a guy who you can bring in and can catch out the backfield, can pass protect, can create yardage with his vision and his footwork and his ability to absorb contact. I think Isaiah Spiller Spiller is that guy. And you probably are going to be able to get him in the, the third round at like pick 80 just because of how his stock's falling. Yeah, he, he takes one in the house um, against Oklahoma. And, you know, there, there is no shortage of long speed there. Um, you know, no, none of the DBs catch up against them, against a good defence. I'm sure that was the game at uh, AT&T Stadium. And they, they were, you know, I, I think some of the knocks, you know, and some of the straight line speed, I don't think that's his game. I think he's he's kind of those one cut. He's, he's, he's very, very patient before he hits the hole. And I do like I do like him. I know they kind of run a bit more of an inside zone game. Do you ever do you ever kind of find the translation? And I know a hole's a hole, right? It's in terms of when the running game, and one for a better phrase, right? But you know, I think it's um do, do you do you find that guys who you know come through a zone scheme in college three years struggle to to kind of adapt to a power scheme, which you know Pep Hamilton we expect will run? Do you think that's an issue? That was one question I had in my head. I wasn't sure of. I think it depends on your um, football intelligence, right? We came, we talked about this at some of the other positions. Is yes, yeah, scheme scheme fit is um, is is huge. And if you like, you say you have played three years in one scheme. Sometimes p- prospects do find it difficult to transition to a different scheme at the NFL level. I think Isaiah Spiller is a guy who has got the, the football intelligence to be able to to, to come in and, and certainly in a power scheme, he's got that physicality, he's got that frame. Um, to, to to grind out yardage up the middle. Um, so I, I, I don't worry about Isaiah Spiller's ability to translate to a, a different scheme in the at the NFL level. Yeah. No, I see. Did you say you had a fourth round? Uh, yes, fourth round. So I got um, a few back-to-back picks, 107 and 108. Mario Goodridge, the cornerback out of Clemson. Okay, he's a nickel, uh, right? I think he can play outside as okay. well, to be okay. honest. Um, and what I love about both Clemson cornerbacks is they're so physical and aggressive against the run. And you talked about being tone setters for this this Texans defense, getting guys in who can come in with an attitude and get down to work and play physical and aggressive football. I think Mario Goodrich is is kind of underrated in his ability to do that. Um, he's um, he had an incredible ascension this year. Um, in terms of he you know, didn't play a deal for clubs in the first two or three seasons, but the same can be said of Andrew Booth, who for me is the top, top, my top ranked cornerback in the class. Um, so I, I love what Mario Goodridge brings to the the field with his physicality, his aggression, his ability to to read the game is is pretty good too. So when you talk about scheme fits and move, you know, man and zone coverage, he's got the intelligence to to be able to. Read where um, who's people coming in and out of his zone. Um, 
So I, I love Mario Goodrich as, a, as, a, as an overall prospect. Um, and then 108, I had Damon Clark, the linebacker out of LSU, who stock is obviously yeah, an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I, I think a team's going to get a, a, a real bargain with Damon Clark as long as you're happy to take the risk on the health panning out long-term because he's a, a real physical enforcer, plays with a lot of speed in his game. Um, you know, will will hurry back to the football down the field um, with, you know, again, coming back to being a tone setter, that non-stop motor, hard-working, bring your lunch pail to work type of guy. Yeah. No, I think that's what we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ollie, have you got any guys in the class that you've not touched on? Your guys you want to you want to plug what you think is underrated sleepers, whatever you want to call them. Oh man, there's I literally so many guys. This and this is what's great about this draft class, which really gets me. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there is um there's so much talent and there's so many guys who they do they will fall under the radar as a result. Um a couple of guys from Coastal Carolina, Jeffrey Gunter and Javon Hiley. Like Gunter, yeah. I've got him on board, yeah. Yeah, I like Gunter. That's an excellent news. And, and and he isn't a guy that a lot of people talk about. I've got him as a fringe um day two, day three guy, probably day three, um, when it all pans out. But he's got that great mix of athletic ability, um sort of non-stop motor, work rate, the length. Um, that you want to see um, prospects. He, the size is an issue for is going to be an issue because he's played defensive end and free throw outside linebacker at the NFL level. He's a little undersized to play a three four a four three defensive end. Um, he he. I spoke to him a, a few weeks ago and he was like, I, I can I can play that position in the NFL. Um, so and, and and a lot of the technical stuff that you've seen out of him, how he uses his length to be disruptive, does. Uh, does kind of lead to thinking he can do that. He's played defensive tackle, you know, he's played three, five, wide, you know, seven, wide nine. He's played a lot of alignments for the Coastal Carolina and been successful with that length, with the explosion, with the strength. He put up something ridiculous like bench press wise at the, the NFL combine. So, you know, he's str- he's got that strong upper yeah, body. You see that with that long arm, he just barrels going yeah. back. I think, yeah, it's excellent. Um, so yeah, he, he's a guy I absolutely love. Jeffrey Gunner, I'm not not going to lie. Javon Hiley is a, a, an underweight, underrated wide receiver for me. Um, do you not know? Lot, do you know? Sorry, I'm just staying on Coastal Carolina. Isaiah Likely, I don't get it. He's um yeah, I, I, I like Isaiah Likely in terms of I can see uh, the traits, but I just yeah, in terms of watching him, I just it's just not impressive, you know, to watch him. I think is it? I know he's kind of lined up at like tight alignments and he kind of flexes in the slot and what and um. He'll do a bit, you know, try and attack you up the seam. I think that's his game. But yeah, I just thought top fifty guy. Yeah, not for me. His um, the athletic um, ability in terms of being able to stretch the seam. I think he's great as a pass catcher. He's extremely reliable. Tracks the ball well. Got good hands. I think he improved as a blocker this year. But that is definitely like the main um, the main knock on his 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 prospect profile is he. Um, he, he, he's not super physical as a, a blocker. He's very sort of wiry frame to be a, a, a consistent high-level blocker at the NFL level. So that obviously restricts his versatility and by by proxy reduces his, his value in the NFL draft class, I guess. Uh, Javon Hiley, though, the wide receiver, falls under the radar because of Isaiah Likely's pass-catching prowess. But Likely's a kid who broke 1,000 yards this season. He's not super long speed. Um, he's not going to wow anyone taking the top off a of defense, but he's incredibly twitchy, got great release packages. So he's 
creating separation very almost instantaneously um, at the line of scrimmage. So short, like slant routes and stuff like that. You know he's going to be able to he's going to be able to win there. Showing physicality through the catch point, um, both in short and like deep ball situations. Um, yeah, plenty to love about Javon Hiley. We could, I could talk about Coastal Carolina prospects all day, but like, <laughs> we'll move, move away from it. Um, yeah, just just some guy without going too deeply into him. Zion McCollum, who's obviously attracting more attention because of the combine. He was a guy I have as a top one, two, five player at the start of the season. Christian Watson is obviously getting a lot of hype now. I, I wrote about him back in 2020 um, while, while studying Trey Lance. And, and I think Christian Watson showcased then that he's got the ability to get to where he is now. I love that. Um, Grant Morgan, linebacker out of Arkansas, is probably going to go as a UDFA, but there isn't any, there's not an easier guy to root for than Grant Morgan in this class, a, a kid who walked on at Arkansas because he was underrated and under-recruited at the high school level. He went and won the Billsworth Trophy as the best walk-on in college football this season. Right. Um, one of those guys that who is probably considered undersized by the NFL, but talk about bring, setting the tone, comes in, works hard, hustles hard to the ball on every single play as a linebacker. I really like Grant Morgan as he's going to get into an NFL camp and probably wow a team and, and earn himself a place in the NFL. Um, I'm just going through some of them. Cameron Thomas. We mentioned Cameron. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, like I, yeah. I, have, um, I have a soft spot for Cameron Thomas and I think he's really underrated. Um, in this class, I've got him as like my thirty third overall prospect on my on my top three hundred big board. I, I just love everything he brings to the game in terms of the power, physicality. You know, like a I don't say like a cut price Aiden Hutchinson because that's doing him a disservice. But he's you know that bigger that bigger four three defensive end who wins just can just take one arm and drive a man back to the quarterback while it could be like knitting or something with his other hand because he's that just just that powerful that he can just force a guy back in the pocket. Uh, and, he, and he's a guy that I think if he'd not been injured at the senior ball and obviously was unable to test at the NFL combine, I think we'd be talking about him a lot more in this in this process than than people are doing. Yeah, um, no, I think you, you're not the only person to bring him up. I, mean, I was started studying reasonably early. Um, or early for my process, which I'll definitely start a lot earlier this year. Try not crab it in, but um, for next year. But yeah, I, I just thought he's, he's he's um, it was hard to pick any flaws in his game. He has interior, you know, multi-gap kind of uh, opportunities to rush him. I think he's he's certainly a guy who you know checks all the bottles. He's got his brothers on the team, big football family that always helps. You know, being a pro is the hardest, but the actual football should be the easy bit. You know, and I think though I don't see any kind of issues there. I've got him as my seventh. Four three um, uh, edge guy. I do have Logan Hall, the uh, Marvin Leal, and Karlaftis above him, and also Josh Pascal. But I think if he had been playing against higher competition, I think I probably would have. You know, if if he'd been playing the SEC play SEC playing like that, um, then you know you could you could probably I probably could have marked him as a starter. Just there was you know not hu huge holes in the game um, at all. But yeah, I think you know an edge presence about him that will um, I guess you know in a, in a good team as well um, that, that's certainly going to have a number of prospects drafted so yeah a lot to like about, about Cameron Thomas but yeah he definitely has a lot of kind of uh, I think I sure, I'm sure I saw somebody haven't said certainly similar body language to J.G. Watt I know that sounds like a really lazy comparison but quite similar in length and, and stuff but yeah the hamstring injuries kind of hampered him big time yeah any more before we, before we shoot out of here? 
Lewis Seen, I absolutely love. I think he's a, a kid who actually is, is close to, uh, to to Kyle Hamilton, and a lot of people give him credit for. Um, Corey Sutton, wide receiver out of App State. If you're looking at wide, late round wide receivers, the physical um, field stretching wide receiver, very intelligent, very versatile. Played for like four different offensive coordinators in his time at App State, um, and and lost a lot of time um, f- through injury. Um, which you know has impacted his ability to be not only productive, but obviously in, in this draft class was so deep with wide receivers. You could just you could rattle off like so many wide receiver names, like Isaiah Weston out of Northern Iowa, Dennis Houston out of Western Illinois, is a guy I uh, I really like, um, probably a UDFA type guy. Danny Danny Gray out of SMU, um, real speed threat who's adds after the catchability as, as well as being a, a deep threat with that. There's this again, it comes down to this, just like such a great class. There's there's so many, so many guys that are going under the radar that are gonna have a potential impact in the NFL for me. Yeah, somebody said to me the other week that they, they thought um undrafted free agents probably could have gone the fourth or fifth round last year. That's how you know deep this class is and it's it's uh, it seems like that's certainly more people I've talked to the more tape I've watched. This um the, the depth cannot be underestimated. And I think teams, you know, the undrafted free agent part of it is a big part of the draft. It wasn't last year for a lot of teams. Um and you saw fourth round guys get cut last year. But I think yeah the, the depth, you know, keeping your eye out, you know, on Saturdays is is a big part of, of this year and don't underestimate it. So. Yeah, definitely trying to trying to cram like three just narrow it down to 300 guys has been like really hard this year last year trying to get to 300 who he thought could potentially be drafted was was a lot harder this year it's it's trying to um yeah trying to trying to cut some guys out of the 300 has been really difficult yeah I, I, I've, I, the way i've kind of played it is if you if you don't trigger a memory or a play or a or a moment you just yeah dismiss it because it's probably not memorable and you need guys come and make an impact and do they do certain things well um, and if the answer is no, then yeah, they can. <laughs> it's the undrafted free, or they're probably playing in the, the USFL or something like that. And better watch, they'll get cut for on a pizza. Yeah, well, this, yeah, yeah, this is it. <laughs> I mean, for me, I don't think that's a cuttable. If you, I think if you, no. if you're ordering chicken salad over a pizza, for me, that's that's the cut. That's no, the cuttable. So, well, that's it. Yeah, I thought there was a bit staged. I don't know if that's just for publicity. Certainly, the fact we were talking about it shows you it got publicity. But. Um, or in pizzas, any what's your draft night traditions? Are you you on live? What are you doing? You working? What how are you going to play? Yeah, so we um yeah we working um last year we did live draft grades um throughout um which I think is something we're going to be doing this year again at Pro Football Network. Not so sure that that's going to be my uh, my area this year. Definitely there'll be a, a a round two and round three mock draft which will come out immediately after the first round's completed. Um, so guys to to look out for on day two. Uh, on there um, yeah so we just have a, a virtual office set up and last year we we had a whole team on the ground uh, in Cleveland um, I think it's been slightly scaled back this year we didn't want to send everyone out to Las Vegas uh, so Tony Pauline and uh, and some of the the video team will be doing some some live video stuff from a draft and we'll be grinding away and, and doing some some reaction pieces and, and various different bits and pieces on, on draft night so I'll, I'll probably wake up at Eight o'clock Thursday morning our time and go to bed something like four o'clock Sunday morning and without a deal of sleep in between for the, the rest of the three days. But yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't have it in any other way. Well, that's it. Yeah, and I think it's um it's 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 uh, Kansas City next year. So 
that's probably a bit of an easier one on the on the uh, on the website budget yeah. to get everybody. <laughs> in there. It's definitely one I want to go. I've been been in Kansas City before. See the Texans in a hell of a place. Um, probably the opposite of Vegas. <laughs> it's probably the way I could describe it. Um, but but great in its own right. Um, so. So yeah, no, I think um, that looks something to look forward to in our couple of picks next year. But we've got to lay the foundations. Ollie, thanks very much for your time. Um, much appreciated. Um, where can the guys find you? You're on the College Chats podcast as well. Where can they find all your stuff? Well, you got a, got a long list ready, so you can find, find you can find me personally at OJ Hodgkinson on Twitter. Um, so Pro Football Network at PFN365 or ProFootballNetwork.com. That's where you'll find all our NFL draft content and our NFL draft guide, which the final version drops this Friday. That's got 200 and some scouting reports, interactive content with videos behind the scene of our draft process, interview prospects, uh, prospect interview videos and um, whole host of interactive stuff um, so if you head to profootballnetwork.com you can find a link to that there and then yeah the college chaps podcast which we just talk college football all year round at the college chaps me and uh, my, my colleagues george and alex who just three guys who love college football so not quite as in depth in terms of draft process but just just talking about the the, the game that is college football that we're we're all big fans of yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, no, excellent. Well, thanks very much for your time. We'll definitely need to do this again. We had a lot of fun um, joining this year just because we're involved. You know, you've got to seat at the table again. So it's been a while um, with all the various picks traded. But uh, thanks everyone for listening again this week. We'll be back next week trying to kind of talk through the Texans' final hours before the draft on the Monday prior to the Thursday draft night. Um, if you haven't already, like, subscribe, send all that good stuff. Get those algorithms churning as we're enjoying this. I hope you are too. Thanks for all the feedback on the message, but a lot recently. Appreciate it. Uh, keep listening, keep learning, and hopefully we'll have a team that's respectable at some point to, with some brand new top 13 players in it. But uh, thanks, Kevlis. We'll catch you again next week. Yeah.